You're listening to Finding Your Genius Zone with Dirk Novell. With the help of successful individuals across industries, Dirk breaks down the unknown parts of every vocation while highlighting the importance of finding a career where you can leverage your natural skills, passions, and interests. Now here's your host, Dirk Novell. Hey everybody, this is Dirk Novell. On with me today is an old friend, Carla Raby Olson. Welcome. Hi, how you doing? So Carla, <laughs> so Carla is coming to us from Park City. And the cool thing is, you know, starting this podcast, I, I think strategically about people that I want to interview that I find interesting, that kind of fit within that whole zone of genius, passion, doing things they like. And Carla is really a great example of that. You know, she was at Microsoft dealing with, you know, C-level people for a long time. Um, and then, you know, she became a mom, which is probably the most important job. But in recent years, I shouldn't say recent, I'll let her elaborate, but she's really fallen into her genius zone, in my opinion. And I've been watching from afar some of the things she's doing. She's writing a book, which she's gonna talk about. And then just her love and passion for music, which we both share. And, you know, I was lucky enough last summer to attend a concert that she put together. So she, again, I'm not gonna steal her words, but she's been, pulling really good songwriters, musicians from Nashville and creating these really great events, our experiences. And uh, I love what she's doing. So again, I'm not going to steal her thunder. I'm going to let Carla talk a little bit about what it is she do uh, does, and then we'll kind of just take it from there. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much, Dirk. I love what you're doing. I, uh, I think we're definitely in the same zone in our lives for sure right now. So um, yeah, so I'm Carla Olson. Um, I'm a mom of three, as Dirk mentioned. Um, I was at Microsoft for a long time. And when I was in uh, um, working on a deal with the CIO of Costco, and all I could think about was my daughter said, Apple Daw. She said her first three syllable word that day. And I thought, I'm kind of done working for a while. <laughs> so I retired and I had another daughter. And now they're all starting to leave the nest, right? And I don't have a plan. And so that's what my book is about. It's called The Almost Empty Nester. And I help people my age discover who they are before their children leave the nest so they're prepared. And so that's kind of my venture. But as Dirk mentioned, um, the other thing I love that I've loved since I was a little girl is music. And especially about in 2019, I met a lot of singer-songwriters out of Nashville. And just the way they pour their life and their story into their songs, songs that we all know, right, by Tim McGraw, Jason Aldean, but the stories behind the songs really captured my heart. And so I wanted to give them a platform to take those shows around the country. So that's that's kind of what I do. You know, it's, it's funny. I feel like we could turn this into a three hour podcast because <laughs> I, 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 I love I love uh, I'll go. I love what you're doing. Um, and by the way, Carla uh, knew my wife. You grew up swimming with her, right? I did, yes. And I always wanted to look like her. She's stunning, and she was so nice. <laughs> she, you know, she's she nice. was like she's... the pretty girl in the neighborhood, and the nice one too. She was like perfect, and she's adorable. And she was a little younger than me, and it was nice to kind of coach them and be one of the older girls on the swim team. But yeah, she's great. Yeah, no, she is. I'm lucky. Um, so let's kind of get into um, people are tuning in right now, Carla, because they're you know, they're curious about what you do now. And then we'll go backwards a little bit and talk about the past because there's some stuff there that I want to uncover. But as far as like, let's just talk about how you like, you came up with this idea. I'm kind of curious, you, you started meeting these songwriters. Where did that whole idea come from as far as, hey, why don't I try to uh, put together a concert or uh, consolidate four or five of these songwriters yeah. together? Where did that come from? Well, so there's a little bit of a story behind that, and I'll try to be quick with it, but there's also a really valuable lesson for your listeners. So I think people are sometimes paralyzed because they don't know the exact thing to pick, right? They don't know what's their purpose. And so for me in 2018, I decided I just wanted to do something, right? My kids were getting older, they could drive themselves. And so I was at a lunch with the owner of Park City Television, and she said, you need your own show because she knew I, I love to get other people's stories out there. It wasn't about me being on TV, but I love it when people share their passion. So I had a show for about a year. And then on that, I interviewed this gentleman that was um, coming up from Nashville to do the very first show in Park City. We hit it off and I was like, okay, we need to make this a series. So coincidentally, the TV station had to downsize. 
And so I started working with this a company called Nashville Unplugged. And then another person came up to me, a business owner in Park City, and said, we need to do a festival. And so that's how it all started. I had no idea I was going to end up in this, but I think there's such a value in that because there's such a blessing in taking action and seeing where it takes you, you know? Yeah, this is, I mean, this is gold. I mean, a lot of times I can just speak from experience of just having fear, yes. not only of failure, but maybe success. Yes. And, and I get so frozen sometimes. And I've been frozen for a lot of my life. And even this podcast, I talked about it forever. And my friends like started like not asking me about it anymore because I wasn't doing it. And I finally just said, what the hell? I want to get this thing going. But I love that. And the thing I think that you're talking about that is so important is if you're watching this and you can, you know, I mean, at 24, 25, maybe, you know, Carla and I talked about having life experience and we kind of know what we know because we've lived life. But it's really important to take action. And then, you know, if you're interested in roller coasters or Slurpees or whatever the hell you're interested in is just get involved and you never know where that might lead you. Absolutely. I think that's too. That's one of the things too, though, is like back in 2018, I was doing a lot of work with Dr. Joe Dispenza. I know you, Dr. Joe, and he really got me thinking different about, is this what I want for myself? Or is this what I think society wants me to do? And so once I had the courage to let go of what I thought society wanted me to do, how to be, how to look, how, how to act, what to wear, all that stuff, like it's just ridiculous. Literally, that's when all of the opportunities presented themselves. So the life that I'm living now, I could not have created from a space if I was still worried about what other people wanted for me. Um, when I first started stepping to that power, I felt like, oh my gosh, am I being selfish or all that? And that's just an old antiquated guilt trip that we don't need anymore because we need to see ourselves shining. Our children need to see ourselves shining because then that's going to give them permission to follow their passions. So I would just say like, if you get that little gut feeling of, oh, I should take this job because it pays money and my parents would be proud. I would just go inward and say, is this truly what I want? And I swear you'll get the answers all the time. I love it. I mean, I, I, I would like to ask you maybe your advice on, and, and my comment on that, by the way, is, is it's a very exhausting life yes. to, run, to run a race that you really don't want to win. Yeah. And, yes. and I, I mean, I, I don't know how else to say it, but like, I felt like I've done that for most of my career yes. as I'm doing something. And I'm in like Gay Hendricks talks about in the big leap. I'm, I've been in my zone of excellence for most of my career and I'm good at what I do, but it doesn't light me up. Uh, it doesn't bring me joy. And I've always, I've always been very, especially with Dr. Joe and yeah. some of the coaching, very aware of when I am doing something, I love how I am around my wife, my kids, how, yes. like how it lights me up and I'm a better version of myself. My, my question is, and I know you have daughters and I know you think like this, but like for somebody that's young and they've got all these voices in their head, society, social media, you know, I mean, there's just so many influences. How I wasn't thinking like this at the, and I was a sensitive kid. I cried and I was, you know, I had a dad who scared me so I could read a room really well, really quickly, 100%. but I wasn't even thinking like this. How yeah. do you get um, younger adults? Like if they're listening to you and they're like, ah, I think I understand what you're saying, but like, how do people, any advice on getting them to kind of go inside and really try to identify what makes them unique? Absolutely. So I think, first of all, you and I grew up in a very good time where there was no social media, right? We very lucky. And so I can't even imagine with, you know, the wisdom that we have and how we feel bombarded by, by social media and pressure. Imagine not having the wisdom that we have and having all that put on you as a 15, 20, 25 year old, right? So this is actually something that I talk about in my book, that's not only applicable to, you know, women trying to create their second act, it's for anyone that wants to really get clear on what matters to them. And so what I call this is called the, the 10 C's and they're words that start with the letter C. So like you have to get really quiet and notice, like you said, when you're doing something you love, you can feel different in your body, but ask yourself, what are you always conversing about? Like when someone starts talking about it, you could talk for hours without any prep, right? What, what do you care about? What are you really compassionate about? Um, what draws your attention in your community? So I think when you can get really quiet and just start to notice your own patterns of when you light up and where, 
that's when you know that your soul is trying to tell you what your path could and should be if you just take action. Now, you might end up somewhere else. I love that because sometimes <laughs> the first step is like a domino affecting your whole life. But I think it's really just going internal and just noticing those patterns of where you really light up, where are you really convicted? Like I have friends that are in their flow, as you call it, and they are so convicted about a certain things like non-negotiable. I don't watch Netflix anymore because I'm writing my second book. So instead of they turn the TV off at 9 PM, they go to bed, they get up at four in the morning and write. So they're very convicted in that habit, you know? So I think if you start to notice those things that come naturally for you, um, in, in many different settings, but then you'll start to see the trends and probably be able to follow a path to where you think you should probably go. And I love that. I mean, that's, that is so gold right there. And the thing I think is, I think when you're, and I hate to speak in my eye language, but like, yeah. I'm going to speak in, in a mind of a, a young adult. I don't even think that's a safe place for a lot of people. Like it doesn't two plus two isn't four. I don't think they're thinking about Hey, I really like um, being creative and closing the door and being by myself and writing music, or I really enjoy being out on the farm and working with animals. I, I, and then, oh, by the way, I wonder what that could translate to in terms right. of a career. I Absolutely. feel like people think of job and then what I love to do, and that's fine. There are people that don't care what they do. They just want to go fishing twice, you know, two right. weeks a month. But it's just thinking about like how you want to spend your Monday morning, Tuesday night, you know, it's, I, that's, that's the shift that I want to see in people. So I love what you're saying. I, I just think it's not something that parents or maybe people's peers are talking to them about. So I don't know, as far as advice, if like being around the right people, the getting a coach, if, if, if someone's watching this and they're kind of alone and they don't have that, network of support around them. That's kind of the audience that I'm trying to speak to right now. So you would say, maybe sit down, maybe identify what you love to do, like the perfect day. Yeah, I think it's more just like, you know, for me, for example, when I applied those 10 C's to my life, I found that I was always conversing about almost being an empty nester. Everywhere I get went at high school graduation, you know, any milestone, my kids turned 18, you know, they were applying for colleges. It always came up that I was conversing about what am I going to do when I'm in the empty nest? But to your point, for someone that's younger, first of all, I actually think this generation is hopefully going to break the idea that they have to go work for a company for 40 years and get a pen. I think they have the entire world at their oyster if they would just trust their instincts. Now, I know this generation has a lot of pressure on them to have all AP classes, to have a 5.0 graduating high school. That's not me. So I chose not to even talk about that because I was raising artists. And some people looked at me like, well, why are your kids not in sports and doing 5,000 things? I'm like, because I'm creating the people that are gonna run Pixar, <laughs> you know? And that's okay. So from, from day one, I was okay with being different because I knew that different meant they're the outliers, they're the geniuses, and they have to not go outward to look for approval of their specialty. If someone loves to fly fish, we have someone here in Park City who takes, you know, people like Kevin Costner, or when people come into town to film, he takes all these people fly fishing and he has the best life ever. And all he does is fly fish every day. So I think there's a possibility in anything. I just would hope that the younger people wouldn't listen too much to the older generation that didn't know how to think like we do. Don't give them the power to take away your love. Right. That's awesome. Yeah, I love it. I mean, it's your life. Yeah. And you and I both are at that age. Unfortunately, we're starting to see people that we love and know um, move on. Yeah. And and I don't mean to be sad or. No, you know, it's terrible. It, life is short. And uh, yeah. there's a gentleman I interviewed recently, and I know I'm going to Tommy boy this. I will say it the wrong way, but <laughs> like the worst thing is meeting the version of the person you could have been. Uh, Does that make sense? Have you heard that one? Oh my God. I, I literally go to bed and like, sometimes people talk about when you die, you can review your life. And I'm like, but I don't want to see all my regrets of things that I shouldn't, I should be on stage singing somewhere. <laughs> so. I know. I know. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's just, to me, it's like, I've always played it safe and, right. and, and cause it wasn't safe to fail when I was young as a kid. And and I don't want to play it safe anymore, you know? And, and so I'm working on that myself. Um, 
getting back to kind of the your love for music and putting together these shows so my assumption is there's a bunch of skill sets that that you know you're a businesswoman running a but you're also creative and and you have to sell yourself and the idea walk us through just kind of from start to finish if you don't mind if someone's curious whether they want to do that for artists or musicians or whatever uh break dancers like pat royer remember pat yes he was my prom date <laughs> pat was i love pat's break dancing but walk us through what that looks like kind of like you have an idea and then at the end of the day people show up and they enjoy the experience but there's a lot in between can you walk us through what that looks like yes so for this one it i have to say it wasn't my idea but i had ideas of what it could do so there was this um you know this nashville unplugged where these singers were they still perform at the mandalay bay every friday they've written songs for everyone that you can imagine and then they met my business partner jillian and brought the show to park city so my role was really um i like to promote I like to get sponsors and then I like to get the community there. That was sort of my role. And so when the songwriter festival turned into a different thing, the owner wanted to kind of take it a different direction. That's when Jillian and I partnered up because I saw the vision of taking this around the country. So we reached out to the Bluebird. We reached out to Chris at the listening room and the listening room was like, oh my gosh, if we could take this around the country, then that would really help promote our place down in Nashville and just bring that Nashville experience around the world. And so Jillian really was, um, she's the event, she does all the details, all the event, but my vision for it was to get the sponsors there and to get people like you and Tammy Luger, you know, like people that would really appreciate and enjoy these experiences. And they're more than just a concert, you'd probably say, it's more, you know, the experience. So. I think for me, when when Nashville Unplugged was just in Vegas, I'm like, why is this not all the way around the country? Why is there not a Netflix special? So then I got them in touch with CBS and all that. And so I definitely have that skill to see the vision of where things could go. And I think for me, I just started. That's I can't emphasize that enough is if you have an idea or you love something, there's other people out there that you nowadays you can find anyone anywhere that shares your interest. And I would start really building a community with people that have the same love that you do, right? So I have a very tight songwriter network now. I can put on a concert anywhere because, and I didn't a few years ago, but now I do because I just had that courage to get involved because I knew other people were going to love it as much as me. So I just trusted my gut, really. You know, I mean, I'm listening and I'm thinking, like when you follow your heart. Yeah. I mean, like I, I've never been one for public speaking on mortgages or I used to be in technology. It's like, I don't love that stuff. It's not passionate. So I can't BS myself yeah. up there and like get excited. But when I speak from my heart, like I don't really care because like Popeye, I am what I am. This is yeah. who I am. And I feel like when you're talking about music, you're kind of, it's so in part of your DNA and your heart. Like, it's like, it's not. I don't know. It's like, I guess the lesson is when you lead with authenticity yeah. and passion, it's like, you can't lose. Yep. Well, I have a short story about that. So back in 2011, the X factor came to Seattle. And so this was back when I was obviously a little younger, I was 41 and I was trying to get that. I was sick of playing it safe. Just like you said, I had done that my whole life and I knew I was meant for bigger, better things. And so I thought, fine, I'm going to go try out. There's 55,000 people. And I thought, I mean, there's really good singers that are doing this. So I'm driving there. I didn't even know what songs I was going to sing. I get there. There's no parking. And I'm like, well, I'll stay if there's a parking spot. And all of a sudden one right in front of this, the stadium opens up. Right. So then I do the same thing, the inner critics going, I can't do this. What am I doing? I'm like, fine. I don't have any headphones. I got to at least practice a song or two. I open up my car door and on the ground is a brand new pair of headphones sitting right by my car. So long story short, I get in, I end up getting a golden ticket. I was listening to people all day long that didn't get picked that were amazing. But see, that is the point. I was not the best singer in there, but I was in my flow. I was doing this from my heart and I can sing. Okay. But it, when they look for someone to give a golden ticket and go to the next round, 
they're really seeing if this is your thing. They're really seeing is like, can I see her soul when she sings? Because there was like opera, you know, better singers that got sent home, but that's not the point. That's not what this world is looking from for you. They're looking not for perfection. They're looking for your passion and your purpose. And I promise when you're in that flow, it'll come out great. It just oh, will. That is powerful. And by the way, I can't believe I don't even know this, that you were on that. I mean, it must have been on TV. No, no, no. The second part of the half is I didn't make it to the TV rounds. <laughs> okay, who cares? But you yeah, were... it was great though. And so the guy that was sending people home the day before that was kind of just a, a jerk. I got him for my second audition and the woman wanted to send me through. And the guy finally was sitting there like this, thinking about it. And he goes, no. And I was like, dang it. <laughs> oh, well, good for you for trying. What yeah. was the song you sang? I sang two country songs. I sang a Faith Hill song that I sang for my daughters. And then I sang a Reba McIntyre song. So, Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. I, I worry that someday my wife will leave me for Morgan Wallen. <laughs> Morgan I, Wallen, I, yeah, he's pretty big right now. <laughs> I, I, it's funny. I wasn't really a country guy. Like I loved, I had the eight track and quick story, but my cousin who I was pretty close with, he married a gal, Tanya, and her twin sister was married to Kenny Rogers, Wanda. Oh, nice. And, and they, you know, Kenny passed away a few years ago. So we used to have these family reunions out in Atlanta and we'd go to Kenny's ranch. So I got to meet him. Yeah. And it's funny because I grew up listening to him. But since then, I wasn't a country guy. And then my wife started listening to Morgan and I'm like, whoa, I really, and I know there's a million great He's artists. Great, but I, I mean, I was oh, yeah. impressed. For me, I didn't listen to country until in 2005 when Christina played me Kenny Chesney. I'd never listened to country. And I remember exactly where I was when I heard it. And it was over from there. <laughs> yeah. So it, all country. And, <laughs> and your husband plays. I watch him sometimes. Yeah. On He's really good. So you have yeah. a very talented family. Um, that is cool. So, so the process of setting up a concert like that, I'm just kind of curious. Is it, I know that you're not doing it alone and you have, is this partner year still involved or are you doing it on your own now? Yeah, no. So um, I, I took a little break. So Jillian's okay. kind of running the ones out in Washington now. And I can't tell you enough. She's phenomenal at what she does. Like the songwriters will get off the stage and usually be tired from singing after two days. She tunes the sound so perfectly that they're like, we could play for a week. So she's very into the little details of what it takes to pull off a, a concert like that, like an experience like that. And is the why, I mean, you go, there's a book, seven levels, like why are you doing that? Why are you do it? And then you finally get to the why is the why to bring, to share something that's really important to you for others. Um, you know, for me, I love to connect people and get out of the way. I'm sort of not one that wants to like take the credit or be on the stage or whatever, but I just feel like there's so much going on in the world right now and we're so busy and we have all these expectations on how to be a good dad and a good mom and what a good student is and all these pressures on our kids. Really my why is just to get 200 people in a room for a couple hours and have them laugh, cry, sing and connect. Literally, I just think the world is thirsty for that and that's really my why, why I do it. I don't do it for the money. I do it for the connection, I'd say. I'm guessing though, if somebody wanted, like they shared your passion, they could probably make a career out of this, correct? A hundred percent. There's people that do this all the time. And depending on the venue size, you know, like 150 is about, you know, break even 200 to 300 is a sweet spot. I mean, you could definitely make this a career if you wanted to. I just, you know, I've got kids at home and I'm writing a book, but I love to do it a couple times a year. I just had one here in park city on April 1st. See, I think what's really cool is if you're watching this and listening to Carla and like, maybe you're not into music so much, but like what she did though, I mean, maybe you're into um, juggling <laughs> or whatever. And you, you created something around a passion years. So I think, I think the lesson here is doesn't really matter what it is, no. but like, there's a way to create something um, and you never know where it's going to lead you. And, and I think the key is, just to take a foot, you know, a step forward and, and uh, experiment and maybe lower the bar sometimes, maybe not have this grandiose vision of what it needs to be. Well, and I just, think on that point, like who defined the bar? 
right? Where, I mean, honestly, like where, what is success? I mean, nowadays we have so many tools to use your juggler example. If they put together an online course of how to go from here to here in 30 days to be a juggler, and you could do it over zoom and you charge a hundred bucks for a class, you could have an income, right? People would come and do that around the world. They would want to know how to learn how to juggle better in 30 days or like this person's tips or tricks. Like, I think everyone has something to, you know, sell or share. I don't like to say the word sell because really more you're serving your audience. But I think everyone could turn their passion into, you know, their career. I believe that without a doubt. And do you think we talked a little bit about this earlier? Do you think what's stopping people is the fear of failure or the fear of success? I actually think people are more scared of the power of their light than the fear of failing. I think as a society, some of us have been taught to remain in second place, to play small and success is very scary. Um, So I would ask people to just lean into that. And so if you're scared of success, the next question I would ask is, well, who in the world needs you to be successful? So like when I think of my almost empty nesters, this group of women, I'm trying to get to kind of figure out their second act, that they still matter, that it's not too late, that if you're over 50, you're not relevant. It's not true. Right. And so if you can't quite do it for yourself because you're nervous, really think about the people that you're going to serve, because then I could do that for them all day long, because it's not about me failing or winning. It's about me serving that community that needs what I have, that needs what I know. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess this is funny. I don't know. This is uh, going down this road. It's a little um, sensitive. It's a little uh, like, it's interesting though. And that's, I'm going to go down this road. Um, The, you know, when you're vulnerable and you talk about, would you say shining your light or showing your light? Yeah. Like, let's just say I failed in lending or failed in something that I was kind of playing it safe with. Well, it's, I can always fall back on it really wasn't what I love in my life. But when you when you are vulnerable and you put yourself out there and you show people your light and then you have failure, you know, fear of failure, then to me, that's like a way worse. Not I want to say it's worse, but it's much more like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, vulnerability, you're exposed, right? But you're exposed on something that is genuine, like that you really are, that is part of you versus being exposed for, you know, yeah. I really wasn't a finance guy anyway, or I wasn't really into medical yeah. sales or Microsoft. I don't like technology. So because, it's okay. I failed. Yeah. Yeah. But when you really, the idea of failing at something you love, and I think, um, I guess that, I guess in my mind, I'm thinking maybe that's a big issue that I'm not even talking about is maybe that's what stops people. Cause the idea of going for what you love and failing, maybe it's harder than going for something, playing it safe and failing. You know, I agree with that. I, I think of two things and I hope this doesn't sound cheesy, but I just saw this amazing basketball player that didn't make the final. That was so mad when one of the reporters asked him about if he was upset that he failed, because I don't, I truly don't believe in failure. I really don't. I think we are taking steps towards, towards success, right? So if you think that you're going to take a hundred steps and all of a sudden achieve whatever you want, that's not how it works. Ask anyone that's successful, right? And so if you fail at something, I think of that more of just like you're ping-ponging, like, okay, that didn't work, but you're still moving forward, right? And so I don't look at it as failure. And then In all of my training, I believe the best way to connect with people is vulnerability. A hundred percent. That is absolutely the way to connect with your audience, to be like, Hey, I tried this and this and I failed, but look, I'm still here. That's someone that you're going to follow. You're not going to follow someone that's like, Oh, I got up and it was easy and I'm successful all the time. I mean, you know, Michael Jordan had what? won six NBA titles. Do we ever talk about the nine that he didn't have? I mean, come on. (laughs) Yeah. And I was impacted too. I think it's Giannis yes. with the, the Bucks. Yeah. And uh he's he's fantastic. Um, no, this is good stuff. I mean, honestly, I was really interested in what you're doing, but I, you know, I know the dispensa and the meditation, and we share, I think, a lot of similar feelings and beliefs. And I love this, I love this content and uh, getting back to the dance or the difficulty and trying to articulate this to a younger person. And again, my podcast is for anyone. You can be 55 and, you know, be interested and you hear Carla and you're like, I'm going to do something like this. 
but that is, that's the thing. Like I tell my kids and they see me stressing about money and in my job and, and I'm like, I just want them to be happy on a Monday morning. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I just, I know that's might not what you that's hear. That's a book right there. That's a book, Dirk. <laughs> yeah. I, also, you're trying to get people to break the cycle. That's what I've been trying to do since I was a little girl. Um, so I can relate to your story, but you're trying to get people to not have to go through what you went through because you are such a man of potential and you know, you're, you're, you're charismatic. You can get people, you can enroll people in what you're doing. Right. And so I think, you know, trying to get your younger audience to just trust that in themselves and to block out. Like, I think some of the stuff they're hearing from an old generation, it doesn't even apply to what they're capable of. So they just have the courage to say, thank you so much for your input, but I'm going to trust my gut and go do this. Right. So, and I also think when they're hearing something maybe from their parents or their grandparents, they have to understand that their parents or grandparents are projecting their own fear onto their children. Because what if their children go do something and it's different? What if they only go to a two-year college and they make more than their parents did because they didn't go to four-year college or get a job? There's so much open for people nowadays and different ways to succeed that I really hope this generation listens to what they want to do, because I think the sky is the limit if they truly do that and they can break out of their old thinking, I guess I would say. Yeah. that And I, and I also just made me think of something, you know, I've always thought about like, and I don't mean the stereotype, but we look up to certain types of individuals, like maybe yeah. professional athletes, musicians, mm-hmm. um, actors, actresses, I mean, there's, I mean, teachers are amazing. I'm not at all saying that's success and this isn't, but a lot of these things we look up to are the barriers. I mean, it, it's a very difficult world to be successful in if you're defining success by, you know, making money. And it's, so it's interesting how we consider, like we, we look up to these people, but they didn't choose safe professions. No. They choose, and you can't fake it in those professions. It's it's who they are, the fabric of who they are. So it's interesting when you look at the parallels of who we look up to. Yeah. And and how much room there was not to fail or not to be successful. But I mean, it's not, you know, a lot of people want to be in a band or yeah. an actor and it's not easy to get there. You know, that's a great point. So I was on the set of Yellowstone three times when they were filming. And, you know, you kind of have this idea of, Oh, Kevin Costner's famous because he's good looking or whatever, which is true. And that scene that I was working on, it was season three, episode one. It was probably the most technical, beautiful, orchestrated thing that I have ever seen. Seeing like 200 people in motion, getting this scene ready, watching how he delivered his lines, watch how he repeated them, watch how he could do it from any angle, pick up from anywhere. I literally was like, oh my God, I thought it would be fun to be an actress. And it's a lot of work. (laughs) So I think we have to look beyond like, yes, we look up to certain people that are like, but like think of Kobe Bryant and that he was relentless with his training. I mean, just unbelievable. And so I think people, you know, look up to these you know, actors, even like, you know, Mark Wahlberg, he was filming something here in Utah. He gets up every day at two in the morning and works out. They're machines, you know? So you have to really ask yourself, like, are you willing to do that? Because if you want that, that's what you have to do to get that kind of success, right? (laughs) Oh, I know. It's crazy. I had a guy on earlier today and he gets up. He's really impressive. He gets up at 3.30 and he's an ultra uh, extreme endurance guy. Yeah but he'll run 20 miles, you know, three 30 in the morning. I mean, I, it's a mindset. You can't fake that. Um, I'm curious. It's funny. I also laughed cause I almost, I, it's not about me at all, but I, I was at, I was jogging and I was walking and there was this only this little area and this guy was coming walking towards me and he was all cut up and he wasn't moving over and, and there was only room for one of us, but, and I, and I'm like, this guy's like trying to pick a fight with me. And it ended up being Mark Wahlberg and, <laughs> and he was filming the movie fear yeah. in Seattle. And I remember I got over cause, but I'm like, I almost got beat up by Mark Wahlberg <laughs> because he wasn't moving over and he was looking at me like, get the yeah. hell over. What he's were you doing? A, he's um, yeah. He, he filmed meet Joe Bell here. And I was on set for that one day and he's just very like, he's golfing, he's working out and then he's on set and it's go time. But that's what you were talking about. It's like, we look up to these actors or these yeah. professionals and they are so, 
most of them, some of it, it's a fluke, but most of them are like truly so professional. It's actually mind blowing to watch them do their craft. It's, it's, um, it's excellence, right? I love that you, I, I mean, I don't even know what you, what you were doing on Yellowstone, what your role was, but that's my wife and I, that's our time. We, we get involved with these um, shows yeah. and look forward to it. But that one has got me. That's a good one. It's amazing. Yeah. It's really well done. Yeah. So. So tell me about, um, do you have a copy of your book by chance? You know, I have a copy of the cover. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> all, now, tell us a little bit. I mean, you kind of have been, but let's talk about the book. And, you know, I think there's three phases that you mentioned in it. And yeah. um, just talk about what you feel is relevant. Well, yeah. So I don't, I mean, I was really surprised to know that there's 22 and a half million empty nesters in the U.S. And what kind of roadmap do we have to prepare for that? We have nothing, right? I mean, there's a lot of books on, okay, when your kids leave for college, how to like rekindle your relationship or how to like, you know, stay in touch with your adult child now. There was nothing that helps you prepare before your kids leave. So I felt we were really missing a big touch point in society to get to moms, to get to parents, like maybe when their kids are just starting high school, to just start tethering themselves from their kids a little bit to start thinking about, well, what do I like to do? Because like, I just... I've been a parent for 20 years and all of a sudden I came up for air and I'm like, I don't even know if I like the same things that I did when I became a mom. Um, and so 63% of empty nesters report feeling lonely and sad. And if you have financial difficulty on top of that, it goes up to 75%. And some psychologists say it can take up to two years for you to adjust for that. And I felt like if we got to parents early, I think we could really minimize that time and really understand that empty nesting can be such a blessing because we're older, we're wiser, we know what we like, we're okay saying no, you know, we kind of know who we are and what we like. And so it's a really beautiful time. So I'm really hoping to change the conversation around empty nesting because it comes from such a place of lack, right? To, I want to get the conversation around like um, passion and purpose and, you know, really like getting excited about life. Like you said, like waking up and being excited to be up on a Monday, right? That's what I want everyone that's our age and going through this experience to feel. Yeah. It's interesting. You and I both want to change the conversation. Absolutely. About something different, but that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. Um, you know, I, my wife and I are very similar in a lot of ways, very different. And we're so into our kids, just like you are. Mm -hmm. And, but like, we don't have a lot of hobbies that we share. Like we love the farm, the animals. Yeah. Like I like to ski. I love, we do like movies, but like, I do wonder, I'm not worried because we're so strong. I've been with her since 95, but it is interesting because I think what you're saying is a lot of people wait and then it happens yes. instead of planning for it. Right. And I see value in the pre preparation um, for when it comes and that can take years to plan. And maybe you start developing a, a skill or a, a hobby together and whatever that is. But I see, I see a lot of value in that. Absolutely. And I think too, like when I really started diving into this work, you know, a lot of times I'm like, well, you know, my, oops, my kids are out of the house. Um, I'm too old to do something. And then I think about it and I'm like, wait, I had a career that was 10 years in software and I'm 53. I could have an entirely second career. Right. So I don't feel like it's too late to start anything. Um, but I do think that getting to parents before their kids leave is good because we've so like immersed ourselves in our children's lives that I'm seeing some kids are even feeling bad for leaving for college because they're worried that their parents or their mom's going to fall apart. And that's not really healthy, you know. And so Carl Jung said, um, one of the greatest burdens on a child is to live with the unfulfilled life of a parent. And so when I hear that quote, and I actually take a minute to process that, I have a responsibility to find whatever lights me up and follow that, not only to myself, but to my children and to my community. So that helps me get out of the way of fear of starting anything. And so, you know, I just dove in and here I am two years later, I've got, you know, my book coming out in May and it, I've never been an author before and that's okay. And so, you know, I just think we, we just don't want to squander this time that we have because it's a, uh, it's pretty magical. I love that you're writing a book. Um, <laughs> I always joke cause I did one. I wrote one and it, but it's, very, it. it's very different. It's very like bathroom humor, but I also really believe in it because like 
the psychology of driving is, I'm not here to plug my book, but no, it's it, great, but it's called road rage justified. But like, <laughs> I can't tell you how worried my son just turned 16 and driving is just a crazy psychology of where people lose their, you yeah. know, what, like in yeah. a moment's notice. And, uh, I, I do believe though, like this book isn't read as much as I'd like, but I think if more people knew about the book, they would run to give it to their kids. Cause it's all the stuff you don't know. Yes. But, but with what you're writing about, like, I think that, that I've never even heard of that. I don't want to say niche or that yeah. angle, but what an important angle because so much of our lives are wrapped up in our children. Mm -hmm. uh, and then all of a sudden they're out of the house and then you're like, who are we? Right. Yeah. And it's been two decades really since we thought about that for a lot of us, you know? And so it was really interesting to me when my oldest daughter, <clears throat> when she graduated in 2019, the energy of the parents on the field and, oh, it's graduation. And yes, people were saying, oh, you're almost an empty nester and blah, blah, blah. And there were some people there that, you know, obviously that was my first daughter, but other parents had, this was their last child leaving the house. The energy at graduation and the energy that I thought saw these parents coming back from after they dropped their kid off from college it was almost unrecognizable. Like one of my friends was crying and she's like, I just go back to bed and I get up, I wander the halls of TJ Maxx and try to kill my time. And I'm like, people, we are way, we are way more important than just to like, try to spend these years killing time. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that's what we're trying to solve here. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. I, I don't, I know there's a lot of ben good stuff, but I'm, I'm also new to this and my daughter's a senior yeah. and, and, uh, just, I'm, I'm a set, I'm going to have a hard time with it. But, I know. Um, yeah. It's, it, it's rough. I mean, your heart walks out the door and then you're going to be in my position. So when your first one leaves, you know, you're celebrating them leaving your heart is being ripped apart and then you still have kids at home. So like you are absolutely going to be an empty nester in the fall or an almost empty nester. <laughs> I know. Well, no, no, I, my son's a freshman yeah, uh, and, and my daughter's a senior. So I got some time, got some uh, time yeah. until he's gone. But um, so one of the things as we wind this down, because you can speak this language and, and again, this audience it's it's, I want to help them live a better life. I want them to have more joy. Mm -hmm. um, people were people, one person was drilling me on why I'm doing this. And it he kept saying, why, why? And it's like, you know, as a kid, I had a little bullying in my life with my dad. And I realized like, I feel like society is kind of a bully and I'm not trying to play the victim, but I feel like there's so much pressure to go down these roads. Mm -hmm. And like you talked about the bar and who sets the bar, who is that? So my, my, and that's just kind of like, and I'm not like in a negative way. Cause we have, no, the, I think the it's very true. Yeah we have the right to do whatever we really want, but it's difficult when you have so many voices in your head. Meditation, so you've been down this road longer than I, and then when you, I found out that, you know, there was a connection with Dr. Joe Dispenza, I was like, oh, that's really cool, because he kind of changed my life in a lot of ways. And the thing about Joe that I love, I, and I got to know him a little bit, mm -hmm. is it's not cultish, it's not like I have to pay him money to meditate, like I can do it, yeah. in my closet and I've just learned skills from him, but I, I, I really try hard with my children to, to get them to try to do it. And they have, but that monkey brain, it's so hard to shut off sometimes. Would you have any advice to like, cause I think meditation is just, as you know, it's a great way to drop out of your head into your heart and get present. But I think it would be such an important tool for young adults and and trying to get clear on what they want to do in their life absolutely i think you know when we're dealing with kids it's always better if it's their idea right <laughs> and so it's like well, how do i get it to be their idea that meditation is good for them you know um so for me i actually focus more on teaching them just about chakras and with artists so both of them have done artwork around like my old my middle daughter um, Riley, she's my oldest of the two artists, but, um, she wrote a book on chakras. And so it's Charlie, the chameleon learns his chakras. And I just thought, okay, I'm going to see where this goes. And so this chameleon, which I thought was a perfect animal that she picked that can take on anything goes through all the chakras. Like the first chapter is the root chakra, then the sacral, then, and changes orange and yellow all the way up to purple. So I love that she got that concept. And then I thought, well, don't you think it's now that you know the importance of your chakras, how do you think best to, to tap into them? 
And they're like, well, meditation, right? So I think for me, I didn't lead with meditation. I wanted to teach the semantics first and get them themselves knowing that it was important to know their chakras and and where energy sits and why. And then for them to understand how to tap into it, it was definitely a process. I mean, I came home from Dr. Joe, like everybody has to do this and that's not how it goes. (laughs) So I think now that they understand just those basics about it and how to tap into it and really the why it would matter to to them, that's when I think they were more open to it. So I want to stick on this for just a sec. So like you know, when you, and this, these aren't my words, so I'm not trying to pretend I'm smart, but like thoughts, right? Those are like clouds in the sky. Like I find myself comparing myself to somebody and like, or thinking, God, you know, he just sold his company for a billion dollars. And and here I am like slow, you know, and I, and, and then these thoughts I have, and they're not really, it's not really the world that we're living in, but sometimes we, I don't know how to say this. We feel like our thoughts are reality but they're yeah. just they're just thoughts and right. i feel i feel like and then i'm hope i'm not losing the young people right now or the but like the thoughts that you have aren't necessarily the real world right, right. and i think getting hold of your thoughts and and realizing you know calling them out is it real or is it just a thought yeah uh, is really important because i think that shapes the way we feel and our emotions as dr joe talks about but I just, the language we speak and the way we talk to ourselves yeah. and, you know, really do we love ourselves or do we beat ourselves up? I think it's really um, how I lived most of my life. And I, I would think if I could rewind it, that's, that's something that I would have liked to change. Uh, you know, I'm on the same page, hundred percent. I thought every thought that I had was reality. And when I learned that it was the way I look at it is like, think of rush hour traffic, right? And you're going the opposite direction and your thoughts are coming at you like cars, right? I'm going to let those cars go by me. And if I want to choose like, oh, I actually resonate with that one. I'll put them in the car. And then, but I'm the one that's choosing the exit. I'm not, no one else is in the driver's seat, but me. So sometimes a thought will come in and I have to stop and ask myself, like, is that true? Dr. Um, Amen talks about this or water. Amen. Do you know him? Dr. Amen. Um, Yes, but I don't know much about it. Yeah. So he talks about it and he's like, you have to stop and do three things. And I hope I can remember them all, but he's like, is that true? Is that true for me? And is that something I want to take forward? And so for me over the last, I wish I would have had this 20, 30 years ago. Right. Um, But in the last, I'd say, when did I start working with probably in the last eight to 10, um, I really have been able to master a lot of my thoughts because I know that they are not me. That's just for the younger people listening. You have to know every thought you have is not truth. It's not the way you have to be. It's just information coming by and you can pick and choose what are your thoughts? Like if, if there's one of them where you're like, yes, I want to follow that because thoughts create feelings, right? So if you're constantly having these negative thoughts, they're called ants. They're like automatic negative thoughts. If you have all these ants happening in your brain, you've got to get those out and don't react to them. Just know, like, just let them just go on by just like the wind. Just don't even land on them because they honestly are not reality. So I love it. Um, the other day I signed up, I don't, ever do this, but I, I just think I, and if I'm saying his name wrong, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Did you do that? I was going to do it, but I couldn't do it. I was on spring break. Yeah. So I, I did it. And then I paid. All right. All right, all right. All right. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, I just, I think he's really an interesting dude and I like yeah. his book green lights. Great. Um, but he was on obviously with Tony Robbins and Tony's partner. Dean. I forgot his yeah, what, Dean Dean. What was yeah. Dean's last name? I can't, I can't think of it. I don't know. And then there was a, uh, a woman and then a, a black guy, I forgot his name, um, but they're all in the coaching world and they were talking, um, they were talking about um, the one gentleman said something, he was an ex-athlete, played football yeah. at Baylor. Just yeah. Really Amazing. cool. Yeah. I, I forgot his name. He's I do too. And he's so good. I, I, he pops up on my radar all the time and I'm like, I've got to follow this guy. He's amazing. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. So uh he said something which was really interesting to me and it re- it kind of revolves around career and he was talking about passion and doing what you love because a lot of times people around you like your parents grandparents whatever they want they want you they don't want you to play it safe but they don't want to see you fail so like a lot of times i think what happens is 
the voices that we're getting from the people we love, even though they love us, is they want us to, uh, they don't want our worlds to crumble. Like, right. and so like becoming an athlete or a musician or whatever, an artist, it's like, like they don't want you to experience like the, the downside of that. And he's like, even though these people love you, they're, they're not the people to listen to. Does that no. make sense? Yes, 100%. Oh, I don't. And I think too, like we have to remember the most expensive thing at the end of our life is going to be the regret of stuff that we didn't do, right? I mean, yeah. you know, I could see you sitting out by the fire, writing this music and eventually like being like, God, this is kind of good and turning it in. And they might be like, hey, you should take this workshop. And so this little path could open up for you that you're just getting that out of you, right? Um, like I took a, a songwriting class with Carly Sackett and it was amazing to get in her brain. And I did it with um, Ryan Tedder too of One Republic. And okay. just, just to understand how they think and all that was great. But no, I think you should... You know, I think people that love us are trying to keep us safe, but we truly know what's best for us. You know, obviously they don't want us to fail, but then that means they're projecting their definition of success onto us, right? So we really need to get clear with, you know, what would make me happy on a Monday to wake up? You know, what is enough money, right? I mean, I'm trying to get rid of stuff at my age. Like I've just like kept too much stuff over the year, but, you know, I really hope your listeners can just understand that. People mean well, but that doesn't mean they should drive your bus. You are the driver. So yeah, I just thought, you know, usually the people close to you are the people you should listen to. And it made me think that maybe they're not. I mean, I'm not saying run away from your parents or your brothers and sisters, <laughs> but um, okay. So as we wind this down, um, you know, I have two questions that they've kind of come across coined and I get typical responses and that's fine. But one of them is if you could rewind this coming out of University of Washington and you know you went and work for Microsoft, but knowing what you know now, and I know that's catch 22 because it took you life experience to kind of get to where you're at, but knowing what you know now, would you what would you do different? Well, as long as I could take my husband and three children. Yep. yep. <laughs> I would be living in, I would have gone to LA after I took singing lessons with like one of the best teachers in Seattle. And I would have followed my passion for music without a doubt. Like singing in a band or singing yeah. like, okay. Singing and songwriting. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. LA or Nashville? Well, I would have probably been in LA and then gone through the whole LA awfulness and then eventually ended up in Nashville. <laughs> you remember that movie with Ryan Gosling and um, the gal who's got red hair and they, La La Land? Well, yeah. Yeah. I just remember? watched it last week. Okay. I've seen, I know. I'm not going to tell my buddies this. Well, they're going to see it, but I, I, I love that show. Oh, it's amazing. Oh, the scene where she's auditioning. Oh, it's my favorite. And she, there's, there's words in there that talk about like all the artists and I forgot, again, I'm Tommy boying it. I'm butchering it. But like, <laughs> that was such a powerful scene because to me that really spoke to, you know, like, these people that follow their heart are so brave and it's such a valuable part of our society. And, and yeah. like that movie, um, I was actually at university of Santa Monica yeah. going to school. And so every month I would fly down there for class and that movie, I'd always listen to the music and I was down where they, you know, in the same area it was filmed, uh, but so that's, that's a special song or a special movie for me, just the music. Yeah, the music too. And I think like my favorite scene, I don't know which audition you're talking about, but I'm talking about the one at the very end where she's about ready to quit. That's when the universe blesses you, right? We all know that. So if you're hitting hard times and you're following your passion, you're close. <laughs> so, um, but it was the last scene where she did that amazing audition and she sang and like, you could hear a pin drop. It's just, it's perfection. And the writers of that movie, um, it's just, I appreciate the beauty of that. Like you do. I don't think everyone notices those little things. And I think you and I do. And, and that one definitely deserved to win the Oscar. <laughs> yeah. She, it's the same scene. They say, tell us a story. And then she yeah. talks about her grandma or her aunt where yeah. you jump in the ocean. Yeah. Uh, something, I don't know, but it was, but you know, this is such a beautiful way to end this because remember yeah. when you said that you can't get up and have the same passion to talk about mortgages or whatever. But when you're in your flow and you keep talking to your listeners about that, she was in her flow. She was just talking about her grandmother and it just comes out naturally. And that's why I was like, just trust that and you'll be perfect. It's fine. But just make sure you're in your flow. Cause you know, when you're not in it, you can't fake it. 
you can't fake it. And it's not like just for the record, like I, I like what I do. It's just not yeah. my passion, passion, but, right. but the problem with me in the mortgage business, and I, and it's not about me, but I think this is interesting too, for others to think about is like Dirk has these gifts, whatever my gifts are or my right. skills. And like, I want to use, I feel a lot of fulfillment and I get a lot of joy of when I can be me. Like I, I'm kind of a smart ass and in a good way, I don't want to make people yeah. feel bad, but like, I like to be funny. And even this podcast, I'm kind of limited in my using my sense of humor, but like, <laughs> I need a second podcast where I can be more me, but you should go point, on the one with Sean Hayes and Jason Bateman. Do you listen to that one? No, but I love those guys. Oh my God. You have to, it's going to be your new favorite. I it's, it's called senseless or something. And it's, it's touring the country and it's right up your alley. Anyway, side well, note. I love, I love Bobby, Lee, Bobby Lee. And there's this, uh, Andrew, R. I don't know. I just, I just love the laugh. It feels so yeah. good. But my yeah. point is in the mortgage business, I'm really good at what I do. I care a lot about it. Um, I care about the experience, but like what I have, what God gave me, what I was born in, in this world, what's innate to me, I don't really get to use those a lot in my profession. And my point in bringing this up is there's an emptiness uh, that I think that, you know, if I'm talking to someone younger who hasn't experienced this yet, there's a, or I should say there's a joy, I'll speak positively. There's a joy in getting to be who you are. Yeah. Where like, there's no regrets and maybe I didn't make a crap load of money or maybe whatever, but at least I was me. Yes. And, and that's the part is that's who, you know, that's what I want people to do is be them. Yeah. Be the best version of themselves. And like, I'm in a job where I just can't really be me. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, people want the best rate and they want low fees and <laughs> you know, that, that's kind of what they want. So my point is, you know, try to find something where you can be you. Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, like you said, your job's great. You're good at it. I worked at Microsoft. I was good at it. I didn't care about technology. I really just helped connect these companies together. That was where I shined. Um, but yeah, I think just now that I'm in my fifties, that's all I want to do is just do what brings me joy and is my definition of myself and no one else's. Because if you're younger and you're getting this message in your twenties and thirties, you are going to be way ahead of everyone else because it takes a while for some of us to get there. I wish I would have felt like this back in my twenties. Like, you know, who knows what would have, have happened. So I know. And that's the part is you can't have regrets, but I do sometimes have regrets. <laughs> and you're talking about like what Gay Hendricks talks about in the big leap. Carla and I are talking about like, we are good at what we did. We're yeah. in our zone of excellence. Yes. But what we're talking about is your zone of genius. When you get into that quadrant where the energy the return on energy and is just like, wow. And that's, that's my hope for people um, in choosing their life work. Last question. And I feel like I know the answer to this. Let's just say you couldn't do music. You couldn't do writing books, whatever. Actually, it's hard to take that off the table because my question, <laughs> my question is like, what is a dream job for you? And I, I really kind of genuinely think you're doing it. Um, or, or is it singing? Uh, you tell me. That is such a great question. Um, you know, I think when the show Songline, Songland came around, it only lasted for a couple seasons, but it's kind of like American Idol, but for the songwriters, it's for the people who create songs. That would be my dream job is to be a judge on Songland. <laughs> because I, it's not about me and getting my stuff out there. I love just laughter in those shows like that. But I love like getting people, I guess I'm sort of like always rooting for the underdog. So I want to allow people to have a platform like the songwriters that usually don't get that because their love and their message is so powerful. So that would be whatever that job would look like. And I guess it kind of is what I was doing with my events, right? But just allowing these people that do so much behind the scenes to have a platform to share their gift with the world. That makes me so happy. Just being in the back and watching everyone's reactions. That really is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, God, you and I, um, there's, I mean, we're friends. We went to school. There was a gap where we didn't really, and we started talking again in recent years, but we really have like a lot of similarities. And I'm going to ask you a question because like, I, after a couple of glasses of wine or whatever, <laughs> I'll come down to my, my office and I'll watch, um, X factor American idol. And I have my favorites. Like I can watch them over and over. Like when genius is discovered, like 
when when someone sings and can reach you with their their talent yeah it's like it's like i i'll never have that not in this lifetime but i i love it what are give me two of your favorite like auditions like that just Maybe one if you want, but blew you uh, away. Well, one of them's really personal. So Wyatt Pike is a friend of mine and he was in my daughter's high school class. And so he was going to try out for American Idol. And he is, he kind of was dabbling in the songwriters. And I was like, hey, do you want to open up for like Earl Budley, like these heavy hitters, like even Stevens, who is like the songwriter of the century. And Wyatt was just nervous and he, but that kid is so talented. I don't know if you watched that season and then he ended up dropping out for personal reasons, but he was probably going to win or be in the top three. So I'd What's say his that, name? Uh, Wyatt Pike. Okay, I'll look him up. Yeah, definitely look him up in his journey. I think you'll really appreciate it. And then I have to say my other one is like Carrie Underwood. Okay. <laughs> Only because it was like the first time that someone really made it. Like I felt like the voice, like you'd have all these winners and then I don't listen to anyone who's ever won the voice. And I hate to say that out loud, but so for me, I like to see, um, you know, like Carrie Underwood, um, Chris, I forget his name. He got fourth that one season and the singer, the, the country one that went on and he's doing really well, but I actually liked it when these shows actually helped create a career instead of just winning and then nothing happened, you know? So yeah. that's what I love about it. Yeah. I, I gravitate towards, you know, the Susan Boyles, the underdogs that, yeah. um, and then I love some of the, you know, like the gal who sings the Fleetwood Mac song. She's got the YouTube. She's drinking the uh, cranberry juice. It's not American Idol, but she's singing a cover. I don't know. She's, she's, she's singing. The, I don't, I don't know that one. I'll send you the link. Okay. She's, yeah. she's, it's, it's one of the most beautiful. And then Jai Wetford, remember that kid from Australia? No. Um, I'll send you a few of these, but, um, okay. and then there's a couple, there's a bigger guy and a gal and they do an opera. Oh, nice. I don't know. I can go on and on, but I, it's funny. <laughs> I gravitate towards the people that you're not expecting. Yes. To be, and then they open up their mouth and they're like, yeah, it's like, it's like amazing. So I agree. Yeah. Um, Carl, anything uh, that I didn't ask you, I mean, you understand the, the angle of this podcast and you've done, I mean, you've given so much great information, anything I haven't asked you or anything on a tip of your tongue that you want to leave the audience with, you know, no, I think, you know, just, I would tell the audience to go back and really listen to this podcast. I think you, like you said, there was a lot of gold in there that you left that, you know, if these kids can really get, or these younger adults can get these concepts that we're embracing now in our forties and fifties, I think it's just genius. That's what I would leave it with. Yeah. I think you said it as well as anyone I've interviewed. That's exactly embrace these concepts. So Carla, you're awesome. I really appreciate it. Um, Thank you so much for taking the time. You're welcome. And I'll see you at the next show. <laughs> All right. See ya. Bye.